Tonight, could choppy waters lie ahead? You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You know, Wall Street isn't liking what it sees from the Fed right now, at least not so far this year. So to take a deeper dive into exactly what is going on here, we've got, as we do every Monday, Andy Stout, our chief investment officer for Allworth, you know, managing billions of dollars for our clients all around the country from right here in Cincinnati. I use the term objects and mirror are closer than they appear, Andy, because I think that's what the market is responding to, right? We knew that the Fed, our nation's central bank, was going to hike interest rates this year, but it's happening a little more quickly than maybe anticipated. Well, if we look back to just a couple of months ago, the Fed was suggesting that there might be one interest rate hike this year. Now, they're thinking three, and the market is actually pricing in three and a half hikes, so almost four hikes are being priced in this year. That's causing interest rates, longer term and shorter term interest rates to go up, and that's making markets nervous. Andy, I, I mean, this kind of is not a surprise. They, they've been real transparent for the past year that they plan on doing it, but they're raising rates very aggressively, a lot quicker than a lot of investors expected. It's like um, the timeline, are, right? The timeline has been sped up. Yeah, the, go, the goal is the same. Yeah. They're just getting there quicker. Are, are you surprised by how much they changed it? Well, I, looking at the minutes, that's the uh, the recap of their December meeting that was released mm-hmm. last Wednesday, and it did come in what I would call is more hawkish than what was expected. When we say hawkish, what that means is the Fed is more inclined to fight inflation than to foster growth, so think higher interest rates. And when we look at the actual minutes, uh, what it showed, it, it really showed that the Fed was thinking about not only raising rates possibly in March, but also starting to shrink their balance sheet. So they had been buying billions of dollars of bonds over the past couple of years, and they've been slowing down the purchases. That's called tapering. But now they're actively considering shrinking their balance sheet, which would mean they would be selling bonds shortly after the first rate hike. Andy, one of the reasons, of course, why the Fed is looking at doing this is because of inflation this year. I was just looking at something recently about all the things you could expect to pay more for in 2022, and it's just about everything. Uh, do you think that, because the Fed has always said that, that inflation is kind of transitory, so sort of temporary, um, but it's starting to look like it's not going anywhere, maybe even throughout this year. What do you think? Yeah, the Fed has dropped that word transitory from their yeah. language. They're not saying that anymore, by the way. They said that last year, not this <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, that's, that's old news. So, yeah, it does appear to be a little bit stickier than what the Fed was originally thinking. And when we look at you know what's being priced into the market, what the Fed is expecting, it's expected that inflation is going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. We're going to get CPI, which is consumer price uh, inflation data, this Wednesday. What it's expected to show is that year-over-year prices were 7% higher. That's a big number. I mean, we're, we're talking the biggest number since basically 1982. So when we're looking at this high level of inflation, it's not surprising that the Fed is talking about raising rates, right? But what's the market already pricing in it? They might be pricing in a little bit of a success from the Fed, which may or may not be the case. We'll, we'll see. But if you look at current inflation, last 12 months, probably around 7%. What the market's pricing in for the next 12 months is a drop from 7% down to 3.5%. And then for months 12 to 24, market's pricing in that 3.5% drops to 2.8%. Why are you optimistic that that inflation is going to come down that much? I, I mean, it seems to me that there's a lot of pressure on wages. And, oh, there's and certain, when, you're, 
when there's pressure on wages, that, that doesn't it doesn't seem like uh, rates would come down anytime soon. Well, there certainly is pressure on wages. I mean, there's what three million more job openings than there are unemployed people. So, you know, that could have an impact there. And when we just look at the bigger picture, I like to think about, you know, demographics for one. Our demographic picture hasn't changed. It's not good. That actually would be an inflation headwind. So that could bring back inflation. Sure. But the other thing to keep in mind is that when we're talking about inflation, we're talking about the changes going forward. So we've had this big bump up from the reopening, big bump up from all this fiscal spending, uh, and just the big bump up from you know commodity prices and just the, the labor shortages and supply chain issues. Now that we're at this level, it's not that we're talking about inflation going down. We're not talking about deflation, but we're talking about it increasing from this higher base level that we're already at, but increasing at a slower pace, right? So it's not that we'll keep seeing 7%, 7%, 7%. We're already at this higher base level. That's probably not going away. But what do we do from here going forward? That's where it's expected right now, at least according to the market, to increase 3.5% over the next 12 months. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We're joined, as we are every Monday, by our chief investment officer, Andy Stout, just making sense of what's going on in the markets. Uh, and, Andy, they didn't like this, uh, these, this, these, this information from the notes from the Fed. Uh, and there's, I guess, some concern because in the past we've seen the Federal Reserve kind of hike the country into a recession. Um, I know that the Fed has tried to be a lot more transparent this time. So are you concerned about that risk of hiking into a recession right now? Not right now. Uh, if we look at leading indicators, we have our own Allworth Recession Index. And what it shows us, it still shows a very low chance of recession over the next six to nine months. So, and this looks at a, a lot of different data points. And what the data points we look at typically move before the broad economy moves. Now, you know, we are watching inflation because obviously if the Fed does get too aggressive, plus they are looking at shrinking their balance sheet, it does raise the risk of an accident happening or the Fed making some sort of policy misstep. So we are watching that very closely. But when we do look at the bigger picture, we're talking about housing, we're talking about looking at the yield curve, we're talking about looking at the labor market, you know, things like that sentiment, it doesn't show much of a recession risk at all right now over the next six to nine months. So you're fairly optimistic about earnings and the economy continuing to grow. Yeah, I mean, if you look at earnings over the past year, you know, they've come in really strong. And when we look at what's in 2022, it's actually a relatively low bar because uh, Wall Street analysts are expecting profit margins to contract a little bit, obviously, because of the labor shortage and supply chain constraints. So it's, it's, it's a relatively low bar. So we should see some continuation of earning beats. What we typically see is that large cap companies 80% of them on average, over the 75 to 80% over the past few years, they've beaten these uh, estimates. So we, I think we'll probably see that again because recession risk is low. And when we look at the bigger picture, earnings and low recession risk, those are some of the, or not some of, those are the most important drivers of long-term uh, stock market appreciation. Well, okay, and and that's the stock market, but bonds are important too. I mean, yes. most clients have 30 to maybe 70% of their uh, portfolio in bonds and rising interest rates is generally not considered real good for the bond market. Are, are there any areas in the bond market that might fare better than others during a rising interest rate environment? It's typically going to be what we call shorter duration bonds or bonds that mature before 
other bonds. So we're looking at short-term bonds versus long-term bonds. In most situations, if all rates are going up, shorter-term bonds would fall less than long-term bonds. So if we just look at the last week, so just the first week of the year, and what we saw was two-year treasury bonds, which are government bonds, uh, they rose 0.13%. 10-year treasury bonds rose 0.25%. So when we look at that all together, the two-year bonds rose, but less than 10-year bonds. And what we saw was that the shorter-term bonds, they did fall, but they fell 0.3%. Long-term treasuries actually fell 4.2% last week. So the longer-term bonds will typically do worse. Now, here's the, the tricky part though, Steve. Once we start to look a, a little bit further out, what affects longer term rates more so is economic growth. And if the Fed does hike us into a recession, right, you're going to see those long term bonds go down and go down pretty quickly. So you're going to still want to have some exposure there because that's one of your best hedges against a recession. You know, Sandy, for anyone who's kind of following along with at least the headlines, right? You check your 401k today, it's down. It was down maybe last week. Uh, you know, there's some people who are going to say run for the hills. But what is your advice as far as being a smart long-term investor to the headlines, to what the Fed is doing, to any of the kind of economic noise that's out there right now? Well, we do have a what I call that more hawkish Fed, so they're inclined to possibly raise rates. And that definitely could cause some volatility here, especially in the near term. But when we look at what the Fed's thinking about doing and what the market's pricing in, three to four rate hikes this year, that's not that aggressive compared to prior rate hike cycles. Mm -hmm. And when we look at how stocks have performed in prior rate hike cycles, well, they've actually done well when the Fed hasn't been that aggressive. So we look out over the next two years, six rate hikes are priced in. That's not that aggressive. Now, to Steve's point earlier, though, bonds, you know, that could be a, a little bit trickier. Want to make sure you still have broad exposure because those long-term bonds, they won't do as well when all rates are going up. But when you start to see more stock market volatility because of recession risk, you know, those are going to probably do probably a little bit better. But I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some higher rates. Uh, but here's the, the big picture is really just making sure you don't make a decision based on your emotions because, you know, that fear that greed, those will come back to bite you in the butt. You really just want to you know, make sure you have the right investment mix of stocks and bonds for the long run and not try to judge what's going to happen. Because what always happens, it seems to be, Amy, is that stock prices, they're always highest when news is the best. Yeah. And that's when you get greedy. And they're always near their low point when news is the worst. And that's when you get scared. And what you might end up doing is making an emotional decision and causing you to essentially buy high and sell low, which is the exact opposite of what you want to be doing. Yeah, Andy, to your point, way too many times we see investors making bad decisions based on two emotions, right? Fear and greed. And you kind of have to keep yourself in check so you don't fall into that trap. Here's a Simply Money point. As the Fed continues to address inflation more aggressively, don't be surprised if there's some short-term market turbulence, right? That's what we're seeing. But as always, stick to your long-term plan. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcasts. The most expensive house in America just went on the market. So take a guess at its listing price. And just ahead in three minutes, we'll tell you all the bells and whistles that come with it. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC. We are the talk station.
You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. I had at 6.43, a word of caution if you are or know someone who is a beginner investor. All right, the most expensive house in America went on the market. It's in Steve Sprovac's price range. Yeah, right. <laughs> $295 million bucks. Guess what? It's in California. Uh, you know, this thing is, I, I just can't believe, when you think you've met somebody with a lot of money or you've heard about somebody with a lot of money, there's always somebody with more. Yeah. And this This takes is the, the realm cake. of, like, unfathomable kind of money. $295 million. Right? It's, okay, well, it is on 3.8 acres on top of a hill overlooking Los Angeles where there's a lot more money than brains. But, you know, 21 bedrooms, 42 bathrooms. I, I guess you can't use the same bathroom twice. Who's cleaning those bathrooms from a practical standpoint? Not the owner. I think yeah. that's pretty much a given. <laughs> pretty clear. Yeah, and it's got a moat to keep people like you and me out. Seriously, yeah. it's we'll got a moat it. around it. Yeah, it has a nightclub, right? Because everyone needs those. Well, don't you? Yeah, I, I, maybe I, if I would go to a nightclub <laughs> at my house, at least I would I could stay in my sweatpants and slippers because that's kind yeah. of my bar. Of, am I going to go there? Can I wear sweatpants and slippers? Then probably not. Uh, so, yeah, you could go to your own nightclub or you get your hair done at your own beauty salon. There's a spa home theater that seats 40. You know, you need your own bowling alley. Well, here's, here's the reason it's for sale. The guy went into bankruptcy. Imagine that. <laughs> Shocking. Imagine that. You build a, a $295 million home and you go bankrupt doing it. Here's some crazy numbers, Amy. Down payment. 20% down because you obviously don't want to pay the insurance. PMI. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 20% down. That's $59 million just to get the loan just to get the mortgage so then you're locked in okay rates are good 3.6 percent let's do a 30 year to keep them reasonable over a million bucks a month a million bucks for a mortgage i'm gonna and go on someday this could be yours <laughs> i'm gonna go to live and say uh whoever owned this place didn't listen to our show because this is definitely yeah. not like the simply money way of living um, but hey, we, we, we can all dream about a house with 42 bathrooms. Well, I don't think I would want to, though. Here's why it's for sale. The guy's in bankruptcy. So, okay, the, the, the bank needs to get paid back. First of all, the bank says they need $200 million out of the sale to pay off the debt. I, you know, we'll see. It's going to go luck. to auction if nobody buys it. Yeah. How would you like to be the banker that approved this loan? <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, what can go wrong? Uh, no, the guy's good for it. He's a good guy. I've met him. And, yeah. and next thing you know, it's, you know, you're trying to unload a $295 million property just to keep your bank solvent. Yeah. I mean, these are crazy numbers. I know. It is crazy. All right. So you think you should, you know, all you need to know about Social Security, right? But if so, congratulations, because you're in the minority when it comes to really knowledge about the nation's kind of biggest retirement plan. Steve, you and I, when we're out and about, right, and people talk to us about Social Security, it, it almost, yeah. you know, I think many come into this like, I get it, I know the system or whatever. And it's interesting because once you kind of launch into a conversation with someone, you realize like now actually you're missing some major facts. And here's the deal. Like you get this wrong, right? You get when you claim Social Security or how you claim Social Security wrong. And it's not just a minor mistake. It's the difference of thousands in some cases, tens of thousands of dollars over the yeah. course of your retirement. So like, if there's one thing that you need to understand about retirement, I'm telling you, it is Social Security. Well, and, and being a government program, it's nice and simple with easy-to-follow rules, right? Yeah. No, not, not, not quite. I, I mean, almost 40% almost of respondents in, in this survey didn't know the eligible age to receive full benefits. 
Well, you know, that's because they, they changed it. And we're going back 25 or so years when they changed it from 65 to 67. And they, you know, kind of in all fairness, you know, okay, well, let's ratchet this up gradually. So, for instance, I think my age is um, 66 and 8 months, if I remember right. A lot of people are going to look at 67 for full retirement age. Does that mean you can't draw it beforehand? No. You, you can still draw it at 62. But it's at a reduced benefit because the system is paying out over more years. But if you don't know what the starting point is, and by the way, there's a really important point about reaching full retirement age. If you go back to work, you're very limited in the amount you can earn prior to that full retirement age of 65, 66, 67. Once you uh, hit full, full retirement age, though, like work as much you as you want. You can make a yeah. million bucks, which I think is kind of backwards. But yeah. then again, it's a government program. It's a government so system. Common sense goes out the window. Imagine that. You mentioned a study, Steve. This is the Nationwide Retirement Institute, um, which found this, right? Most Americans are sorely lacking in knowledge about kind of the basic fundamentals of Social Security. So full retirement age being one of those that a lot of people don't know. Also, um, spousal benefits or child benefits. Turns out about a third of us don't understand how that works. Yeah, no, no kidding. And I just had someone last week come into my office that um, the, the and, and these are retirees. They've been drawing Social Security for quite some time now. And she, the wife who is currently collecting spousal half of her husband's benefit, because that's how she receives more based on her work history, she was not aware that if he should pass before she does, then she will then receive more money. So two, two points out of this, Amy, is number one, if you've never worked a day in your life, but you've mar you're married to somebody who has and participates in Social Security, you're still eligible to get a spousal benefit of half of your spouse's benefit in addition to them receiving their benefit. Um, that surprises a lot of people that if you don't work and haven't participated, that you can get money out of the system. Even if you got divorced, you if you were married for at least 10 years, you will still get that spousal benefit. So, you know, understand that there are benefits to being married to someone who participated in the program, even if you never did work or add money into social uh, security. One of my favorite ladies I ever met at one of our workshops came up to me afterwards. And I mean, you could just tell by the look on her face, right? Like she had a serious question. And she, it was the question she had been divorced. And you have to be married to someone for at least 10 years yeah. uh, to draw that spousal benefit. But she asked me, like, you know, hey, my ex-husband made a, a lot more money than I did. His Social Security benefit's going to be a lot more than mine. Can I, can I draw from his? I said, absolutely. And she said, yeah. <laughs> her next question was, but is he going to know? And I yeah, said, and yeah. I was like, honey, I will tell you. So here's some good news. He will never know that you're pulling yep. off. His... She almost cartwheeled out of the room, right? She was like, <laughs> yes, I get his money. <laughs> I don't know. have to talk to exactly. him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's important to understand how these things work. And then just the fact that Social Security is kind of adjusted for inflation. And actually, we're seeing that in 2022 more than we have in recent years, a much yeah. bigger bump. It's called COLA, right? The cost of living adjustment that you see. Problem is, what the government giveth, they also taketh away. <laughs> You're going to pay more for Medicare right now. Yeah. So Imagine don't spend that. that money all at once, right? Yeah, exactly. And and But you still come out ahead. I, I think it was a 5.9% increase for 2022. Uh, yeah. And the Medicare premium, which comes out of Social Security, that's what pays for your Medicare benefits, that went up, I believe, 7%, but in dollars and cents. And you, you still, most people come out 50 $60, 70 ahead. So it helps.
Coming up at 634 2021, historic year for real estate. What's the market looking like for 2022? We'll talk to our expert. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovec. It has been a crazy, I don't know, year, couple of years in the real estate market. And so in 2022, do we expect that to change? Do we expect the market to slow down? Joining us tonight is our expert on all things real estate, Michelle Sloan. She is a broker and owner of Remax Time. Okay, Michelle, is this the year, 2022, when things, I don't know, get back to normal in There's the real no estate normal. market? Come on, Amy. You <laughs> what know is that, normal? You know better. There is no normal. We, <laughs> we keep thinking there's a new normal. There's never going to be another My normal goodness. again. It's so funny because, you know, I've been in the business almost 20 years, so I've seen, you know, I've seen what normal was yeah. 20 for years ago. Yeah, for the longest ago. time. But then, you know, we had a crash and then we are building back up. And the last two years have been absolutely crazy because there's there's nothing to sell. And everybody says, oh, the market's so great. I'm like, yeah, it is. But and there's a big but in there. Yeah. <laughs> and the but is, you know, there's so many people that want to purchase a property. You know, everybody that's in that age range of 25 to 32 are still looking for their first home. And they can't find their first home because there is literally, especially in the Cincinnati market, there is very little inventory, meaning very few homes to purchase in a price range that would be normal sure. <laughs> for a first time home buyer. So I would say $250,000 or less. Um, they're just literally, you can, you can go through almost any area of Cincinnati and something that's livable, move in ready, um, you will find nothing. And so the real estate agent gets a lot of heat, right? We're constantly getting heat going, well, you, you can't find me a property. So you must your really fault. stink. <laughs> it's not my fault. I'm telling yeah. you, there's just nothing out there. There's nothing. So literally, I mean, I've been walking on, I've been knocking on doors and wow. not that I like to do that, but I, um, I've been hanging up little like door hangers saying, I have a buyer that's interested in your neighborhood. Are you interested in selling? Wow. And a lot of people think that's just a marketing ploy. It is absolutely not. That's real. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, if I had to do that type of marketing, which I don't, you know, I don't want to come knock on your door because I know I don't want anybody knocking on my door. But, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have received the letters from real estate agents saying, you know what, I really do have somebody who's interested in purchasing a home in your neighborhood. Are you thinking about selling? And it's not just a ploy. It is real life right now. And this is what we are. This is what we're doing every day. All right. So, Michelle, as we talk about what's normal, what's not normal, normally, right, in a calendar <laughs> year, there are cycles to real estate. And most people think, OK, I put my house on the market in spring. That's when people are looking. And then maybe uh, if the house hasn't sold late summer or whatever, like you don't you don't really put your house in the market because after school starts up again, is all of that still off the table in the normal real estate cycle is just out the window? Absolutely. So right now, I will say, you know, normally, <laughs> uh -huh. you know, January and February are times of the year where it's a little bit slower. Yeah. And so we always say, if you put your house on the market now, um, you are likely to sell pretty quickly in a, you know, for a great price. 
that is absolutely the case right now because there are more buyers than there are sellers. So right now the, the, the inventory that we have is just non-existent. So if I would just say, if you are a buyer right now and you are serious and you're ready to go, connect with your real estate agent and just stay ready. Just, you have to constantly be in that, I'm ready to go. Alert. You're at the starting line. You, yes. gotta, you have your little butt in the air. You gotta be ready to run. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then if you are a seller, you want to do the exact same thing. You want, if you're ready and you have a place to move to, and that's the big question, right? If you have a place to move to, go ahead, put your home on the market because guess what? It's going to sell. The prices are up so much. We're up from year to year, anywhere between 11 or 12 to 15 to 20% wow. above what homes were worth just a year ago. You can't see an 11 or 10% increase in most sectors of the financial world, sure. but we're definitely seeing that in real estate. And the big question is, will that bubble burst? I'm not seeing it in the next year. I'm just not seeing it. It may slow down just a little bit because the interest rates are starting to creep up. I wanted to touch on that, Michelle, because I have read in a few places that maybe later this year, as the Fed, our nation central bank kind of raises interest rates, that maybe mm -hmm. some people will pull out of the market, which then can free things up for those who are, who are serious right now. Do you see any sign of that happening now? I know the Fed just announced last week uh, that, you know, maybe in the next couple of months, we're going to see interest rates starting to hike. Absolutely. So, well, I don't see any slowdown because here's what they're thinking, right? So a year ago, we were at like 2.75% as a norm, 30-year fixed kind of thing. Sure. Now we're up about 3.5%. So we've increased almost a full point, which is still ridiculously low. Historically right? low. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculously low. They're thinking that we may get to about 4%, maybe four and a quarter by the end of 2022. Again, ridiculously low rates. Now right. it will affect some people because, you know, everybody's of the mindset that when you list a house for 200,000, chances are it's going to sell for maybe two and a quarter or 230. You know, it's going to, it's going to be worth more likely than the list price, which again, still baffles so many people's minds that that's even a thing in Cincinnati, Ohio. We've yeah. always heard of that kind of thing in, in uh, California or someplace out West, but never in Cincinnati. But, you know, those are the kinds of things that you want to stay on top of because as the interest rates shift higher, the amount of money that normal uh, normal humans, normal first-time <laughs> home buyers, you know, they may not be able to afford what they thought they could afford a year ago. So that has to be recalibrated mm. as the rates go up. So if you're only qualified for a $200,000 home, guess what? At If that rate goes up another full percentage, you may only qualify, you know, you're for less. So you may, maybe it's 190 or 180 or something like that. So, you know, you really have to stay in touch with your mortgage lender. And as things creep up, and they will, you, what you can afford may be a little bit less. Michelle, what do you say to the people who um, have been watching the real estate market closely, didn't maybe want to jump into the fray for whatever reason, whether it's buying or selling, and they're wondering, okay, like, is now a good time or should I wait longer? What do you say to those people? I'd say don't wait because, you know, I think rates are going to, uh, you know, everything's continuing to rise. Inflation is going up, right? Yeah. Um, the price of homes are going up. Now, will there be a correction? 
maybe, probably. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, why who knows wait? And who knows when? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it could be five years from now. So are you waiting? Are you going to wait five years to, you know, build a home? And a lot of people are like, okay, I want to build a home, but I know I'm going to go in at the top of the market. I want to buy a home, but I'm going to, I'm going to spend too much. You know what? It's all relative because if you are ready to move, guess if, and let's just say, your family has grown from two or three people to five or six people because you got married and you got extra. That was kids me, right? I went from yeah. three kids to six. Exactly. So your family grew exponentially. The size of your home needed to grow as well. Can you imagine waiting five years to see if the market, just to see, <laughs> look in that, if the, if the crystal ball was going to crack? <laughs> um, if that many kids were sharing the same bathroom as they had been right. for like six months before we moved, we would not still be a family in five years. It would get ugly. Yes. It would. And so here's the thing. Don't wait to live your life. I mean, I feel that very, if you can afford to make the move now, do it. Don't wait because we do not know what the world's going to look like. Now, could something happen catastrophic? Absolutely. Could we have, I don't know, could COVID continue for another three years? Yeah, maybe. I mean, again, we can't predict Nobody the has future. a crystal ball. Yes. We really don't. So, you know what, live, in my opinion, live your life. If you're ready to sell and downsize, if you're ready to sell and upsize, you're going to spend more either way. You're going to make more when you sell. So you're going to spend more when you buy. It's just the circle of life. So get out there and live it. That's, that's my advice for today, Amy. <laughs> I love it. All right. Great insights as always from a real estate expert, Michelle Sloan. She's a broker and owner of Remax Time. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac coming up, turning your office into a clubhouse. You know, your workspace may be changing. We'll tell you about this interesting new concept. You know, sometimes we just see something coming down the road. Uh, and it doesn't look good. And we just want to raise a warning flag for either you, maybe your kids, someone you care about. Today is one of those days. Steve, we've been talking about Robinhood, right? This is his investment yeah. app. Makes it super easy to do. Uh, remember, I think last year they were starting to go on campus tours, right? Getting campus kids like signed up. They were giving them even some money to start trading. Well, they're kind of taking another step in that direction and, and offering a new platform for first-time investors. And while, right, we're super on board with people understanding how to invest and what that looks like. We're all like. about education yes. and investing. Yeah. Just wondering if Robinhood should exactly be the number one tutor here. Exactly. And if Robinhood sounds familiar, it's because that was an app on your, your phone that you could download and then buy stocks, which in a lot of cases would be free of commission. How do they make their money? We'll talk about that a little bit. But um, they were the, the, the big name. Robinhood was the big name behind the meme stocks. Remember yep. GameStop? Uh, I, I mean, what was yes. that, about a year ago? It was you know? exactly a year ago. It seemed like it was five you know, years ago. Here's a company that does video games out of a brick-and-mortar store that's barely getting by, and yet the stock went from a couple of bucks to a few hundred overnight. What was going on? Well, it was companies like Robinhood that were basically – 
encouraging small, I, I'm, I'm going to call them what they are, unsophisticated investors. They're new to yeah. the market and, and they're putting in a couple hundred bucks, maybe a thousand, two thousand bucks and, and driving these stocks up, which what goes up must come down. I think a lot of people have already learned their lesson over what can happen from that. So, you know, he, here they are. Now they're coming out and they're encouraging novice investors to get started by actually investing don't you don't need to read about this stuff just just try it throw yeah. some money into it and see what happens and that's a good education yeah so this new service that they're rolling out is called first trade recommendations um and essentially uh you're given the option to kind of receive some help and when you click on that they give you a questionnaire um and you know i've seen so many of these like online forms through yeah. the years right like online retirement calculators what you can afford to buy in a house right and they're very one size fits all you answer a few questions yeah. and all of a sudden it's making recommendations i guess my concern is and i think for a lot of people who listen to the show right you understand like it's not investing in individual companies it's not day trading where it's at it's being a smart long-term investor but do your kids know that right if they're just coming yeah. out of college and their friends all made a ton of money last year on some crazy meme stock and they're trying to reproduce it they get on the robin hood app they click on this all of a sudden it's telling them what they should be investing in i think that's a huge red uh, red flag and i hope that yeah. parents if you've got kids that are that age you're having this conversation with them well, and, and I think there we talk about being a fiduciary an awful lot. A fee-based investment advisor is a fiduciary, and that's a very high legal standard to do what's best for the client, not necessarily for the firm you work for. You have um, to do what's in their best interest. There in is their, in their best no interest, wiggle yeah. room. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's a legal standard. It's not just, well, right. it's a good idea. It's ethical. It's it's that and more. Well, you don't have that in the brokerage community where commissions are being charged. You have something that's a little bit different. And, and that's why, you know, I, I really worry about what's going to happen with this um, if they're not held to the same legal standard. Uh, what, what's interesting is the SEC is aware of this. I mean, this is something that um, they still should be working in their best interest. And, and the SEC has held some firms accountable that are allowing unsophisticated novice investors to trade very risky securities and, and trade them off. And so and I don't think this is going to fly for a real long time. I hope not. I mean, it is supposed to produce kind of personalized portfolios, um, you know, for exchange traded funds kind of based on an algorithm. Right. So whatever you fill out, there's an algorithm that's choosing uh, what you should invest in um, and just a number of things. And I think the important thing and you touched on this earlier, Steve, is to understand how Robinhood makes their money. It's from trade yeah. volume. Right. Yeah. The more yeah. trades that they make, the more money they make. So. Whether it makes sense for you, right, as an investor to be trading a lot, which we don't think it does, um, Robinhood is financially incentivized by creating more trades. So what do you they think are. they're going to recommend? Yeah, exactly. And and, and the, 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 word I, the phrase I was looking for earlier is the best interest rule. Totally different than the fiduciary requirement. But yeah, they get paid backdoor. You might not pay a commission, but when they take your order and they have it executed, there are other intermediaries that are would love to execute that order because they can make some money on it. So they get, it's a kickback. It's a legal form of kickbacks called payment for order, order flow. So they get paid if they direct it to one place to get executed versus a different. You know who invented that? Bernie Madoff. <laughs> so, I mean, if that doesn't tell you something, 
well. you know, I, I, I mean, so that that's where I have concerns. They, they make their money there and also on the interest they charge on margin, which is where you take a loan out to buy more stock than you have the money for. Yes. These are big red flags, Amy. Yes. It, it, it worries me. I'll tell you another big red flag is that Robinhood is saying, listen, you fill out our algorithm on Monday. We're going to make these recommendations. You fill out again on Tuesday. We might make different recommendations, right? Yeah. Like we feel like, okay, if you sat down and you talked with the financial advisor, their recommendations day to day on what's the yeah. best, right? What's most suitable for you isn't going to change. Man, just keep an eye out for this. Here's the Simply Money point. We strongly believe in educating yourself about money and investing, but beware of where you or your kids turn for that education. Coming up, the pandemic has changed so much of how we work, including what the workspace of the future, what it might look like. So should it be more of an office or a clubhouse? We'll get into that. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I mean, you Wagner along with Steve Strovac. You know, for those of you who've been able to work from home, some kind of hybrid schedule, if, if you're heading back to the office anytime soon, it feels different, right? Because you've been used to working like at a desk at home and then you come to work and when you work with people and you're face to face with them, you want to collaborate, you want to brainstorm, you want to do team building, whatever that is. And so it seems to me like, Steve, for those of us who used to be at our desk, right, with headphones on so no one was distracting us, fingers on the keyboard, uh, Mm -hmm. that kind of scene might be a thing of the past. Well, it's interesting because in our company's no exception, some people came back to work right away. I, one of them was me. I came back full time right away. I think you did my, not like working my, from home. My, my wife encouraged that decision, by the <laughs> way. But, no, but in, in all seriousness, and I, I we're seeing some people that are coming into the office for the first time in a year and a half. So as companies, this has never been done before. I, I mean, that's really the interesting part of it. Yeah. As companies are requiring a hybrid schedule and getting people to come back in, um, you know, what's the social aspect? Um, you know, what's your purpose? of being in the office if you can do that work from home. So we're seeing some ideas that, frankly, Amy, some of them are out there uh, on, you know, let's put couches in the office. I, would that fly it, where, where we are? I, I don't know. Well, I'd be taking thing. a nap. I, well, I, I feel like, and I'm, you know, I'm not like, like you're, you are old school in your work ethic, yeah. right? Like yeah. you are, you want to be in the office. <laughs> no, you are old. You are super young at heart. Trust me. <laughs> I might have more age on you when it comes to that. <laughs> but but truly, like, uh, for you and what you're used to doing, right, meeting with clients day in and day out, like, you're used to being at the desk and doing yep. that. But on the flip side, like, um, there might be some people in marketing and, and in other areas where it's more about collaborating and throwing ideas yep. off of each other. And then you go home for the next three or four days, you work from home. And so this whole clubhouse concept, while it sounds so weird, honestly, I think it might start becoming more normal in some workplaces. Yeah, but you you know some people are going to abuse this. You you start oh, changing of course. it. And, and, and yeah, let okay, let's make let's put some couches up, maybe throw in a hammock or two, ping pong table. I I, I mean, you know that's going to be where some people are going to want to take it. We'll see. I I I just think yeah, there's some ideas on but at some point you have to get back to okay, let's take a look at uh, at productivity, let's take a look at the bottom line. Um now that couch is going to be gone after after a week or two. That's My prediction is, is the couch goes into Steve Sorak's office and so does the sign that comes up uh do not disturb from noon to two every day you've been listening to simply money here on 55 krc the talk station